Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars that weren't in their prime Made other movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Danny Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the Film Stage. As always, I'm Dan Mecca here with Connor O'Donnell. And today we are speaking with an incredibly talented director. His name's Andrew Davis. He made a little movie called The Fugitive. Ever heard of it? Connor, what's up? I don't care. 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 Uh, A great great scene. I do. That's a a lie, though. I do care. Well, so do I. I a movie that doesn't have a doesn't have a bad scene, I'd say. Does the fugitive have a bad scene though? Mm, probably not. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, like, like just watching. I it, dare I, say, if it does, I don't know if it matters. You know, because it's like, no, well, it certainly it's, doesn't it matter. Comes out but, in the wash for sure. So, um, kind of on the um, advent, though, as you're listening, it's a, it's probably available already. Um, of the of the fugitive being about 30th anniversary, uh, a 4K kind of a new mastering of the of the film is now available per- had, perfect uh, for all the dads in your life this holiday season amen amen it uh that's a good great point um yeah we should say happy holidays right? yeah of course yeah we're, we're just about right there. in that middle right in that <laughs> that sweet spot between thanksgiving and christmas um what was I going to say? Um, so we we were lucky enough to get to speak with Andrew Davis for a good thirty minutes, and we'll jump to the interview in a minute. And we we talked about a lot of stuff. He's a very great conversation, um, kind of very open to talk about anything. We kind of ran through. Yeah, he was really accommodating in terms of like it was. It's a good. It's kind of a good speed round. I mean, he doesn't have a gigantic filmography, right? So it right it really is kind of a good speed run of 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 his well, entire and career, we can even of. i'll just say so these are the features right and we kind of we kind of mentioned like the, i think all of them kind of get mentioned right maybe not collateral damage but like i think all of them other than that yeah because even his, chain reaction gets a mention it okay. gets a quick mention um so debut in 1978 the kind of very good debut uh music film uh stony island which we talk about quite a bit he made a horror film a couple years later that didn't get released until like 83 um but that has like joe pantaleano in it it has young daryl hannah has a few people it's kind of a kids in the woods horror movie kind of interesting actually we talk about it, it some memorable sequences in the film i don't think like davis holds it in particularly high regard like I, you know it's like a culty you know post friday the 13th you know um slasher kind of a movie but but that's the second movie the final terror and then um he and we do talk about this he was working on a movie called beach street that he was that he was fired off of left that did get made into a movie and kind of in the process of people liking stony island um the final terror finally coming out he gets offered and get gets put onto what is code of silence which is like i you know the best chuck norris movie like yeah, without a right. doubt like i don't even know he, he kind of and he sort of does that you know a couple times right because he's both he's directed basically what well he says would, it i mean yeah you know you we don't call wanna... the, the best chuck norris movie and the best steven seagal movie right like well certainly yeah so then so yeah. then and then literally we can run through it then kind of three years later 
above the law, Steven Seagal's first movie, which we talked a little bit about, and I wish we could have gotten into it more. Um, the crazy thing about Seagal that I, I don't know that everybody knows is he was teaching martial arts in L.A., and he wasn't an actor, right? He was just – he was, like, teaching martial arts. His pupil – one of his Aikido pupils was Mike Ovitz, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And he, he would always say he can make anybody a movie star was like a thing Ovitz would say back when he was like in full power. So he like likes Seagal's deal, likes the stories he would tell. So, and 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 this is kind of what Davis talks about in the interview. There was like a project they were going to like plug Seagal into. And Davis basically says they kind of concepted above the law. Around To wrap Seagal's around the, the kind of deal. The legend yeah. that Seagal would tell of himself like yeah. in these classes, right? So it's really kind of a fascinating, I mean, how off, it's just crazy. That's that's like the true story of that. And then so immediately after that, he makes a really good Chicago movie with Gene Hackman and Tommy Jones called The Package. Another Seagal film, three years later, Die Hard on a Boat Under Siege. That's got to be the best. Yeah, that's I, I rewatched that a couple nights ago, and I would say without yeah, question, that's really the best big hit. Movie. Um, yeah. And then immediately after, you know, very chaotic production. We talk about it on the podcast, even though it's obviously the the, the A plus side that it is. He makes the Fugitive, earns a bunch of Oscar nominations. Um, then he gets this kind of crazy deal with Savoy Pictures, makes this passion project called Steel Big, Steel Little. Then Chain Reaction, a perfect murder, uh, collateral damage holes and then finally the guardian and then his most recent movies is kind of shorter documentary called mentors mentors tony and santi which is lovely um so like you're saying not a huge filmography but not a small filmography yeah. and a guy who like has worked with everybody is like an industry vet and it's cool that he's back out you know, pushing the fugitive. Um, they're re-releasing Stony Island kind of as a recording. So I think he's going to be doing some press for that, which is cool. So even though he hasn't been making a lot the last couple of decades, and we even, we talk about The Guardian, which is a movie that I have a deep, deep, deep soft spot for, but kind of did underperform at the time and has since gone on to become like a cable staple, which we talk about. He just has a lot of insight and just a lot of experience. And I just think he's one of those guys we love. Like, honestly, not unlike Carl Franklin, not unlike Wayne Wang. And I like that we were kind of have this little, we're developing like. Yeah, I, like a rogues uh, gallery. Give, of, uh... give me your Mimi leaders. <laughs> give me yeah. your Jonathan Mostels. Give me your Kelly yeah. Currys. Like, I want to talk to all these people. Gregory Hoblet, are you listening? Ho Greg Hoblet, where are you? I want to talk to all these people. I want to talk to. Um, I want to talk to all these kind of these these workhorses who who give us the movies that, you know, don't get made as much anymore or become TV shows like we talk about all the time. So anyway, um, is there any other setup you want to do? Connor, no, before no. We throw I mean, I think that's a good little. Yeah, it kind of we 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 touch on on like Dan said, a, a few of the, you know, I, I think in prep for this, we kind of I paid specific attention to like Steel Big, Steel Little and uh, even I rewatched Chain Reaction for this, which again isn't really a B side, kind of a B side. Yeah, know? we talk we talk about a perfect murder, which is definitely a cheat, certainly not a B yeah, side. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie I think we both really like, and and, and he and and he really likes, which is yes. cool. Yeah. And um, in hindsight, I I will say I do I guess, and we only had thirty minutes. I I, I would have liked to have known about Collateral Damage only because it's such a lost movie. Yeah. Like it's it's a big Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie like 
but it's after end of day. Like I always think of end of days as like the end of the run. Sure. Right. And really, I mean, there was collateral damage, right? right. And it's was, right. I think it's, even the sixth day came after end of days. And these like are all, did have a couple these are all I, I believe, literally, you know, at least for Schwarzenegger, all rolling up to T3, right? Like, it's like, he's like... Well, and then T3, he, I mean, he's like governor before the movie's a DVD. Right, exactly, exactly. So, it's so just, that's my point. Yeah. It's like, yeah, T3 is, I think, the next year, which I believe is directed by... Jonathan Mosta. By Mosta? Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Mosta. Um, We're back. <laughs> what I love is we got, speaking of, we got, in a row, um, Schwarzenegger goes... Hyams end of days <laughs> sure. who's the really the holy grail sure i sure. would kill to get peter hyams on this one <laughs> even though you could argue andrew davis is a bit of a holy grail he's right up there with Hyams. yeah you go hyams has hyams ever had a best picture that's what i'm saying no you know? no. Uh, no god yeah. bless him no um but he has had the relic um <laughs> so hi he was hyams end of days spottiswood the right. sixth day yeah which right. god bless the roger spottiswood and then and then you get andrew, andrew davis, davis collateral yeah. damage and and uh and and with a cherry on top mr jonathan Mosto what a fascinating with, uh, mount rushmore that is <laughs> yeah and they're all kind of you know t3 performs well anyway so um yeah a lot to talk about we talk with andrew davis about a lot he's very generous and um and yeah please enjoy our lovely chat with the one and only andrew davis thank you sir for speaking with us so starting with obviously the fugitive 30 years ago i can't think of another movie from 1993 that's endured the way the fugitive has i mean i'm sure you've talked about the film so much i was thinking is there anything with the making of the film the film itself the reception that you you haven't talked about is there so is there some like little nugget that you've always wanted to be like, you know, I loved that part of the movie. Or was there like a, the best, best day on part set? Was walking around the streets of Chicago with Harrison wearing an old army surplus jacket. Right. Buying hot dogs and eating peppers and french fries. Walking into a bar right next to the Playboy Mansion. And he's sitting there and having the waitress realize, holy shit, I'm sitting here serving Harrison Ford. <laughs> That was fun. You know, we were just in pre-production. We had a lot of fun getting to know each other and, and working through the city. He was glad to be back in Chicago where he had grown up, where his father and mother raised him, you know. That's right. And, and you know, and so that, 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 that was just one of the things. You know, the other thing was uh, Tommy Lee Jones, who I had done package right. and, and uh, under siege with. Sure. Coming back to Chicago where we had done the package, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and working with these, the cast of the marshals that we surrounded him with, but also spending time with real marshals and trying to understand the dynamics of my job is just to bring this guy in, not to determine whether he's innocent or guilty. Yeah. So some of that energy came from real, real life conversations then with real life marshals. One of the things that happened, you know, we were working on the train crash. We were down in North Carolina. And um, everybody was pretty tired. We'd been working nights. It was cold. And uh, one of the one of my staff put together some dailies of of what we had shot, mm. and we showed it to the crew that night. And they were like so happy to realize that what we had created was going to be significant and, and well done. You know, so those mm. are some minor little stories. 
Yeah, that's nice. The I think that 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 often gets lost. Well, I think one thing with the fugitive is it's like so many productions, it was a there was a chaos to the way it came together, right? In some degree, with like the script and everything, you know, which is now well documented. But you would it's a uh, it's I'm always fascinated. It's such a buttoned up movie, right? Where you know, like Casablanca, they're you know writing the pages for the next day, that night, right? Like you know that it's not an uncommon thing, and it's it feels like such a specific filmmaking. Well, the, the, this, but <laughs> and you know, with the famous script uh, teacher, I don't remember his name. They were teaching this as the perfect script, you know, as, hmm. as you know. So, yep. so that's you know, perfect script done through improvisation. You know, my parents were actors. Yeah, and the best man and woman at their wedding was Viola and Eddie Spolin. Well, so Viola Spolin is the 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 grand dame of improvisational theater. Mm-hmm. Son Paul Sills started Second City. So I grew up with the idea that, you know, improvising and making things up and enhancing things as you go along. And it's it started with my first movie, Stony Island. And it's oh, yeah. Con- ah, you know. Well, let me ask. So that you brought it up. Let, let me use it as a segue. Stony Island. So that's 78, right? Is when it comes out, I believe. Yeah, 45 um, years. Yeah. And it's a really lovely, I mean, talking about it, I mean, you've made a lot of, obviously, uh, Chicago films. It's a lovely Chicago film, Stony Island Avenue, right? And I think it's like just about uh, a burgeoning blues band trying to just get it together and like all of the obstacles that come in their way. And it's just, talk a little bit about Stony Island because it would, this is the perfect platform, obviously, to tell people of like, a, you know, a movie like Stony Island, which I, I, I currently I can access through my library and is obviously available on your website as well. Tell us a little bit about Stony Island because it is such a little magnificent, you know, first feature there. Well, um, I was a young cameraman trying to get in the union, mm. and it was very restrictive. It was, they didn't want young camera. I worked with uh, young directors, Jonathan Kaplan and George Armitage, and they were going on to do studio pictures. Like working for Roger Corman's brother Gene, doing these little remakes of MGM scripts. You worked on like the Hitman, right? You worked on a couple Mid, of those. Colbury's, the Slams, Private Parts with Paul Bartel. Those are yeah. Fisk, the great production designer, was there. Sissy Spacek used to come visit us. You mm-hmm. know. Oh, Jack Fisk. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of and course. so, so that was graduate school for me. You right. Know, <laughs> that's where we learned how to make movies for three hundred thousand dollars. So I couldn't get in the union. I started a lawsuit. It was called Davis et al. versus Iatsi et al. with Caleb Deschanel, Alan Davio, oh, wow. Tak Fujimoto, and me, and some other wow. guys. And we sued the union, and uh, and they put us in group three, and we couldn't work until all the group twos and ones were working. So right, I gotcha, said, gotcha. it's easier to be a director than getting the cameraman, camera union. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I saw Mean Streets, and I saw uh, America Graffiti, and I said, well, here's two successful directors who did a film about what they did as a kid where how they grew up yeah and i thought my brother was a kid growing up on the south side my parents are old lefties they the neighborhood was changing they were scaring away white uh homeowners with that blacks were moving into the neighborhood my parents refused to leave so my brother was a white kid growing up in a black neighborhood and he was he, he started playing the guitar when he was young i was a guitar player and i I used to terrorize him playing the, the notes from Twilight Zone. Da, 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 da. You know? <laughs> and he became a guitar player. He was, and, and I said, doing a movie about a white kid making in a black neighborhood and becoming a musician would be interesting. 
Yeah. So I met, I worked on a movie called Lefty with Tamar Hoffs, who was a writer from Chicago, who was, whose brother also was into the blues and learning how to play like Muddy Waters and Bo Diddley and all those kind of guys, buddy guy. And we, and I said, I want to make a movie about my brother, Richie, she said, and her brother had the same experience. And so we worked, started working on the script together. And we put together over the course of, took a while, learned how to do securities laws and raise money. We raised $300,000 and made this movie. And Takfu Jimoto, who had been my assistant, shot it. And Doug Honig, who, who uh, uh, worked on Lepke, who was the editor, who later shot, cut a, a lot of my movies and Michael Mann's movies. Mm. And, and we put it together. And we put a band together uh, based upon Richie and his friend Stoney Robinson, my brother, and I met a guy named Gene Barge, who was an incredible musician and producer who was, had been working at chess. His rhythm section was uh, uh, Maurice White and Donnie Hathaway. If you yeah, wow. Yeah, so chess, chess records for those who yeah, don't know. Yeah. He, was, he had been working with Natalie Cole, and, uh, and he brought this rhythm section that was working with Natalie Cole, and that became the Stony Island Band. And we wrote some songs in two weeks and put a band together. Yeah. And if you look at Stony Island, you'll see The Fugitive. I yeah, mean, sure. That movie, in terms of the way it looks, so we just had an opening at the Siskel Center last week, and it's available on all these platforms. And there's a great documentary called The Making of Stony Island with Chuck D and Quincy Jones. It's available on my website, andrewdavisfilms.com, and also The Fugitive and all these other films. So yeah. that's, with, that's how, and that was my launching hit. The film got rave reviews. I mean, the reviews of Stony Island from the top critics in this country, Arthur Knight, Charles Champlin, Ebert, uh, Playboy, everybody. And and the film opened in Chicago and white black kids started going into white theaters and they got scared. This is in mm, Yeah. They pulled the picture and they tried to rename it My Main Man from Stony Island. <laughs> and it sort of disappeared. But, it, you know, yes. it got me my next film and it launched the careers of a lot of other people. Susan right. PA had a small part in the movie. She started the Bangles. Yeah, oh, right, wow. right, right, right. As, you know, it's such a good movie, and to have the release kind of get short shrift like that—that that, that's tough. I mean, I, I was going to ask. So, you, you kind of quick, you very quickly by the mid '80s, right? It, it's code of silence time, and you're kind of you're you're on your way. Well, but it's just it's more complicated. I, Harry Belafonte saw Stony Island and loved it. Right. And I yeah. got right into it B Street. And 15 days into B Street, there was no music ready. Right. Arthur Baker said, I want all the publishing. And I had Herbie Hancock and Shaka Khan lined up. Anyway, long story, I got fired on, on B Street. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Baby. And dear Mike Metavoy saw the dailies. He said, how'd you like to do a Chuck Norris movie? I became an action director from a musical. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was going to ask, do you, do you and Joe Pantoliano ever laugh about the final terror? Because... He's yeah, that so. Was before he had his, that's Joey before he had a nose job. <laughs> he is so that performance. I mean, we don't need to spend too much time. I mean, the Final Terror has its own. Is a horror movie has its own kind of cult following. Um, but he is like very effective in that film. I mean, I was like, wow. Can't believe you saw it. Oh yeah, yeah. We watched it all. I mean, this is what we do. So we do. But but so that that movie. So Final Terror comes out a couple years after you make it because it's like Daryl Daryl Hannah is now a star, right? It but right, it finally kind of eventually comes out. But then by then you're probably on your way to to Norris Land, right? With Code of Silence, like you're talking about. Well, and Code then, of Silence, made, Code of Silence made me the action director. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. We uh, we not we, a, not a B side. I mean, a, a big 
you know, his best movie, a, a big hit. I mean, Code of Silence yeah. is a great, it's and also a Chicago you know, movie. This, yeah. People saw the film. Schwarzenegger saw the film. Dino De Loretta saw the film. And they all wanted to get involved, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, I tried to get involved in a couple other projects. And then, I don't know, after that was... Uh, Seagal. Seagal, Seagal, yeah. Above the law. Yeah, above the law. Yeah, so, there was know. another story. They came in. The Warner Brothers had this project called Out. It was hmm. about st stealing uh, uh, televisions off the docks of San Francisco. Right. And, the, and they came, you know, and they said, well, who, you know, I said, well, maybe John Voight can be in this movie. He said, well, there's this guy named Steven Seagal we want you to be. Who the hell is Steven Seagal? Right. <laughs> so we had lunch together and uh, he says, I picked you. I saw Code of Silence and I want you to direct my movie. I said, really? He says, yeah, Michael Ovitz <laughs> is my manager, my agent, and he wants to make me a star. <laughs> and we started talking. It was during Iran-Contra and I was very interested in the corruption of the Reagan administration. Sure. Seagal and I politically agreed about what was going on with the CIA and lying and all this kind of stuff. And he started telling me a story about he should say he was from Detroit and he went to Japan and he worked for the CIA and he had his dojo and all this stuff. And I went back to the studio of Warner Brothers and I said, you're making the wrong movie with this guy. Right, right. Let's do a movie based upon whether it's true or not. The story you just told me. Right. Harry Semple and Bob Daly said, how long will it take you to write the script? Right. And the producer, Bob Solo, was going, don't throw this project away. I said, well, this is a better movie. Right. <laughs> so we came up. I hired Ron Shusset, who later wrote Alien, and Stephen Pressfield, who became a novel, very famous novelist of, 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 of military novels. And, and we wrote the script and put it together. And that was it. That was yeah, it. And it's, and it's like, was, I mean, it's so, it seems so simple, right? We don't need to, I mean, above the law, obviously is another big, big A side, but, but it's so, I think you do over and over in your career, you really show a pension for like, whether it's intentional or not, like keeping things simple on a narrative level, um, can do wonders for what you're trying to achieve, right? I think often um, when things get too complicated, you, you kind of run into your own problems, right? And I think Above the Law is a great example of that. You kind of let him do what he, you know, purported to be good at doing, and it really works. And then, you know, that that run, I mean, you say it's an action thriller run, you know, but but it's a really impressive run all the way up until The Fugitive. And then what I love is the pivot after The Fugitive. And I just wanted to ask, obviously, there's so much success from that film. You know, uh, many Oscar nominations, you know, third highest grossing movie of the year. Amazing. Yeah, I just I just have to say a thing about The Fugitive, just to go back. The Blu-ray is unbelievable. It is amazing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You know, and I just been talking yeah, to some other people. And apparently the, the, the big critics of technology are saying this is a mind bomb. You know, so we were able to remaster the sound and the picture in a way that that it's there's more on the screen now than you can see, even see in a theater if you buy the Blu-ray, watch it on a good monitor. Yeah, I actually I, I watched it. I watched it last night and I was I was sort of like fascinated by it just in terms of, you know, I've like like many people, I have watched that movie Many, 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 many times. A hundred um, times. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it's what uh, I think Guillermo del Toro calls a one sock movie. You know, if you start watching it while you're putting your socks on, you won't get the other sock on. Um, <laughs> but um, I've heard it. I've heard it's a, it's a bladder killer because you don't want to sure. go to pee. <laughs> sure, that, that's that, good. That, that works too. Yeah. No, but I was I was struck by by really like how how beautiful it looks. Um, and I I you know 
let you mention the sticklers. I, I tend to be one of them, especially when it comes to things like compression and the way blacks look, you know, in the picture and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't want to say it was like watching it for the first time, but it certainly was, a, it felt like a new experience for sure. Great. Yeah. But I just, so yeah, you, I think you make this really shrewd choice to kind of pivot and like make steel big, still little, totally different movie, really interesting energy, certainly a B side in as much as kind Didn't of, do, why is this guy trying to make, you know, kind of uh, comedies and spoofy films after doing the fugitive you made that you made it was it a deal with savoy at the time right they 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 distributed that movie right it was the best deal in town i had a three picture put deal with a company i had final cut you know all that kind of stuff they were out of business before we even finished the well movie. that's fortunate today it's really relevant because it's about greed and immigration and all that kind of stuff that's something i have to get off the ground but anyway um you know, that was based on a documentary I did. That was based on a true story that took place in West Virginia where somebody was getting screwed out of some land, you know, and this guy comes in and says, I'm going to help you get your land back, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Denzel Washington called me up. He, he he was from West Virginia, and he knew all about the corruption. I'd already cast Andy Garcia. He was too late to work with Denzel. But anyway, um, so so that so you know I wanted to try I, I I had the opportunity to do whatever I wanted I and I wanted to make a film in Santa Barbara where my family was right so we did Steel Big so that's something that's it's available on our website also but. well and it's and I feel Andy Garcia you know it's a he was he's an incredible leading man still an incredible leading man but his nineties kind of, he never you know he never he never really had his The Fugitive which is I'm always a little bummed out by because he's so. Incredible, and he's great in Steel Big. I mean, he, made some, he's made some great independent movies. A hundred percent, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He direct he directed, I think, The Lost City, which is a really yeah. interesting movie. Really, really, yeah, really kind of an underrated movie from 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 that itself. I think is like eighteen years old, which is crazy. But um, but anyway, um, and we this we're gonna cheat a little bit. I definitely want to. This is not a B side, but I think me and Connor both really love A Perfect Murder. And I think it's a great example of, you know, you're kind of reimagining Dial M for Murder, though it's very different. And I think, do, do you think people knocked it too much for like even trying to do the Hitchcock thing at the time? Because it is, it, it's so clever how it's not like Dial M for Murder. That's well, every time I rewatch it, I, I'm always like reminded like people, it's a wholly people, different thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember... Too many negative reviews. I mean, yeah, it was a, people liked it. Yeah, perfect murder lives on. You know, and 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 I, and I think it, that Pat Kelly wrote a really good script. Hundred percent. Yeah, really good script. It was one of the f few movies I've done where the script was other than Holes, where it was really intact. Mm. You know, and um, uh, my concern was, you know, could I could I use New York the way I've used Chicago? Hmm. Could I use that as a fabric of the city? And 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 I think we did. You know, uh, uh, Derek Wolski shot it. It was beautiful. Phil Rosenberg, who did all that jazz, was a production designer. You know, and I had three great cast members. More than that, you know. So I, I don't know. It was it was uh, Dialing for Murder was a boring movie. And it was a, <laughs> there. You go. Hot take. Watch you, out. You know what? No, you're serious. right. It you're was, right, and you should say it. Was, it. <laughs> it was done with a, in a 3D or a technoscope. Yeah, it was a 3D movie. Yeah, three, right. That was, was the whole stuff. Like a play. It was one shot and one. You know, so it wasn't like it was a challenge to try to over. It wasn't trying to beat North by Northwest. You know what right, I mean? Right. And I said this. Before, 
I was not a big Hitchcock aficionado because when I would watch those movies as a kid, I was so into reality. I was into, you know, the the, 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 the city limits and the Jewisons and, sure. and the Kubricks and things like that. And I could tell the guy was standing on a ledge, but it was a blue screen. There was a process behind it. It took you out of it, yeah. Lost me. Right. I liked the re- the real stuff, you know, uh, Battle of Algiers, that kind of stuff. Oh, Green. that's great. Battle yeah. of Algiers. So there there was no level of like, you, you weren't intimidated by the prospect at all in terms of trying to kind of like recapture or tackle like a Hitchcock. No, well, certainly not for a perfect murder. It's it's right and smart in the script and in the execution that it just kind of uses the nugget of the idea and becomes a wholly different thing, right? Oh, I think right. It opens it up li- and you're literally capturing, and, and also you're, yeah. yeah, and also you're capture and also it's such a nice timepiece and you're you're capturing Gwyneth Paltrow right at her moment, which is so nice. It's a great underrated performance. Right. Michael She's- Douglas, you know, is just is kind of subverting his own character in that movie in a really interesting way um it, you know where it's he's kind of he's playing the archetype that kind of made him the movie star but, but with this kind of extra level of dread you know which i think is interesting and um and there's just a lot of really great performances in the film honestly um you know vigo i mean god i mean come on what are you talking about he's amazing um i wanted to ask um we still have some time left and i, I just wanted to i wanted to bring up um so your last kind of big studio movie is The Guardian, right? In 06. And I was struck re- I I've always liked that movie a lot. And I was struck re-watching it last night. Um, you obviously you didn't make you didn't direct a lot until obviously you have that lovely um the lovely documentary uh mentors, Tony and Santi from a few years ago, which we can we can talk about. But with The Guardian, I was struck how like that movie that was like the last time you could make that movie. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, could you make The Guardian now? Like, it's just such a lovely big budget drama that there's not a superhero in it. You know what I mean? I just, I was struck. Did you find that after you made it that maybe that was kind of the last moment for something like that? Or, or Well, you know, we- it was interesting because that movie, we, that movie tested, it was the highest testing movie in the history of Touchstone Pictures. We had a mm. 99. It was unheard of. Wow. Dick Cook was running the studio at the time. And the picture opened, and you know, it's like, and, and Bob Iger saw the picture and he says, Ashton Kutcher's going to be a huge star. Right. Mm-hmm. A huge action star, you know. And then this whole thing with Demi Moore, at least, you know, he says the boyfriend of Demi Moore. And when he was, it, 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 it somehow it didn't connect. Yeah. You know, and, and look at Costner. He wasn't huge like he is now, you know. But right. people, no, they, people, yeah. people like that movie a lot, you know, and I, you know, I, I said, so if you make a movie, it's 99 and, and you still can't get an audience to, to, to you know, rally around it. But it, it made its money back. It plays all the time on television and stuff. Yeah. You know, um, it's a typical business. You make a good movie and then you, you get disappointed with the results. And that, that, that's happening more and more, you know. Where you and with what the problem now is they're making two hundred million dollar good movies that can there's no chance of making their money back. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole. No, I mean, I remember you know Art Linson has that great book. Uh, what is it called? What just happened? Where he talks about pushing tin. His his movie from the late nineties tested like you know ninety five when he had that Fox deal, and then like it came out and 
nobody saw it. And he literally, Art Lindsay was like, I don't know. I, it was a great movie. So, I, you know, and, and so it obviously can happen. It's hard to know, you know, in those moments. But certainly The Guardian, you're right. I mean, it plays on, you know, it's become a staple. And, you know, rewatching the Coast Guard, it. By the way, The Coast Guard had so many recruits after that movie. Is that right? Right. That's oh, funny. yeah. Everybody wanted to be a swimmer. That's you know, so and and actually, the movie caused them to build a new training facility with that because we we invented the wave device. Oh, oh really? We built a wave tank in Shreveport that was able to press a button and create different types of waves. And then when the guys from Kodiak came to work with us, you know, it was like wow, you know, yeah. chills. Um, yeah, and it's so fascinating. You, I was just marveling too at the filmography you really worked with. Every big 90s movie star, right? Because it yeah. was like if if Ford wasn't getting the movie, Costner would get you know what I mean? You, you by the end of it, Keanu, you Keanu was wonderful Keanu, to work with on chain reaction. I was gonna say you got you Morgan got Keanu Fre in there, Ryan Brian Cox, you know, <laughs> even a, even a young Rachel Vice in your in your filmography, you know. That's nothing. I think to that was her at. first Hollywood movie, right? Rachel Vice? That must have been, I think. It's right? none of her earlier ones, you know, and, and then and then the fugitive. We have, you got to this issue. We got it. You're pulling it up. You just got to be right. You got to pull it up. Lewis, who's the woman who, who plays with the. Oh, Silla Ward. No, 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 no. Oh, the, okay. The, 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 Jane Lynch. Oh, oh Jane yeah. Lynch. Sure, sure. She's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing in that. She has like, you know, a one and a half like great scenes. She's like investigating with with Dr. and even julian julian moore for uh well the famous yeah. <laughs> where you talked about this the yeah. julian moore where it was a bigger role and you had to cut it out and but she's you know we didn't cut it out, out. we didn't oh you didn't even shoot it okay i didn't i thought i i, I guess i, I, I thought you shot the, it there was peter mcgregor scott i'm busy making the movie he comes to me he says andy there's no way harrison going back to her apartment and taking the shot you're gonna yeah, destroy yeah, yeah. his character and i said you're right peter we called arnold copelson up Arnold, <laughs> he had to make the call. And it's funny, she's going to be showing up in Santa Barbara. I haven't seen her. I think she was really mad at me at the time, you know, but well, hopefully she got over it. She probably understands. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. She, she by, look, a year later, she was in uh, Safe with the Todd Haynes movie, and that's that's endured for forever. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I didn't get nominated, and Harrison didn't get nominated, right? Right. Yeah. And, Robert Altman was so sweet. He said, the only reason they're nominating me is because I'm an old man. Andrew Davis should have gotten nomination. <laughs> that was so touching. Now, that was Shortcuts? Was that Shortcuts? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. funny. Julian Moore's in Shortcuts. That's, that's, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, that's its own, the, the, the kind of, the perception, you know, Barbara didn't get nominated for Prince of Tides. That was a couple years before that, right? It happened then, to Kubrick. It happened to Spielberg. It happened to Rob Reiner. It's happened to Ava DuVernay. You know, this it happened. You're you know, in good company. You know, what yeah, I mean? you're in the best company you could hope Roland, for. Roland, Roland was going crazy because Dune, the director, didn't get nominated. So how can this film get 19 nominations? Sure. For the director? Oh, Denis. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Denis Villeneuve yeah, didn't yeah. get nominated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I forgot he didn't get nominated. That was probably a mistake. Yeah. In, in immediate hindsight that probably was a mistake but i just wanted to bring up because we're wrapping up here i just want to shout it out because I, I got a chance to watch it last night that the doc meant the mentors doc tony and santi is just a lovely 50 minute oh that's so sweet you know i'm very flattered that you guys spent the time to look at these things i really am it's really nice of you but anyway, uh, sorry John. That, that happened because i met a guy yeah read an article about tony vaccaro 
And then I admit, and I knew Santi because he's friends with a friend of mine. And we're at this party, and he's got Santi's pictures of Sinatra and all these people are on the wall. And I said, do you know this guy named Tony Baccaro? He stepped back. He says, I wouldn't be here without Tony Baccaro. Right. It's hmm. such a nice story. I yeah. realized, I started telling you the story, I realized because my mentor was Haskell West. And, I, and I, you know, to have this relationship between these two guys. And so I did my stud circle thing. It was like an uncle to me. I started asking all these questions about from Santi about their history and everything. We went to New York. We shot it in two days. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Two days. And then we came back with all these incredible images, put it together. And it, it's beloved. And it, I'm hoping to develop it into a series. About oh, yeah. Wonderful. It's yeah. a lovely, you know, it's really, it's just well curated, right? I mean, um, in terms of just how you, the score is beautiful. And then it's just like, you do just a great job of telling this like simple story and the photos they've taken between the two of them over the years. You just like, you know, the photos of alone are, you know, could be their own. Well, it's, it's, you know. it's, 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 it's an odd couple love story between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How they helped each other at different times of their life. And then it's a piece of world history, you know, like they talk about. You know, we've captured certain things that are part of history. You know, Yeah, they and, were there. They were there for so much. It's, it's kind I mean, of incredible. It, I, Mussolini hanging upside down with blood coming out of his stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah, that photo is unbelievable. Well, um, we're coming to the end here, uh, good sir. But thank you so much for taking the time to kind of go through. Congrats on 30. 30 thank iconic you. years of the fugitive. And, and everybody, everybody watch Steel Big, Still Little. All right. We'll let you <laughs> go. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. There it is, folks. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, we covered a lot. Could have could have talked with them for two more hours, right? I yeah, think. yeah. I it's I will. I gotta say it. It's anytime we do these interviews, um, I feel like you in particular, Dan, get complimented on how much how how studied you are. For doing I, your homework. I talked a lot in this one, which I, you know, yeah, I you know. But 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 you I know. do it it always makes me feel good when we get that compliment because I do think I think sometimes people sign up to chat with us and they don't actually know what they're getting into. They think they're maybe oh, just sure. gonna give like a normal interview and then suddenly they're pleasantly surprised because they're like, Oh, well, I, oh look, wait, you I wanna think ask it's me easy, about you wanna well, ask that, me about steel big steel little? <laughs> well, know? and look, I think I think look, the nice thing about the thing we do. For, for for the people we talk to is I often they're it's a press day so they're talking to you know they're doing sure, 10 right. 15 minute 20 minutes with people who who are you know fine journalists I mean they're but they're they're, they're there to talk about the fugitive right because that's why that's what they've been assigned and I think if we can if we're lucky enough to be part of the the day and get 30 minutes or whatever I think it's it, how is it not refreshing? Sure. To, you know what right. I mean? In the middle of your day to be like, oh, yeah, like, let's talk about the fugitive for five minutes. And then, right. like, how much has, has you know, you think about any director. It's like, you know, it's the whole impetus for the podcast. It's like, you know, look, not enough people have seen Steel Big, Steel Little, right? It, you know, he says it. Like, it, it didn't you make can any money when it came his, out. You can rent on his yeah, website. Yeah, you can rent it on his, oh. on his website, which is kind of a fascinating thing that if we had another 10 minutes, I would have asked him, like, how, how do you so go about doing it that? It seems like yeah. he got the rights to it. Right? Yeah, which so I like, guess it's because it, he Savoy, had, So Savoy yeah. Pictures lasted like five years. So right. when he talks about how they ran out of money by the time the movie came out, he's not lying. Like if you look at if you look on the wiki for Savoy, yeah. they like became a company in like 92 and they like 
pushed out a lot of movies either in a co-production or a distribution deal or they like i think if you looked up the movies they pushed out i think you'd see at least like three of them are movies that we've covered like well yeah yeah. (laughs) and 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 i yeah and look i think a lot of them didn't do well i mean you know and i think when you're starting companies that way if you don't get a huge win early it can be really detrimental. And I think that's just what happened to Savoy. Like it's happened to other, com- other companies. Like Edward Burns talked about that. I think he, the, he got like the biggest budget he ever got to make that movie, The Groomsman. Yeah. On this right. company, Bauer Martinez, I think was the name of it. And it was this company that like got a huge influx and then like spent the majority of it on a movie called I Could Never Be Your Woman, which was this right. Andy Heckerling movie yeah. that like didn't really get released. And I don't even think it's that bad of a movie. It's a Michelle Pfeiffer movie with I think it's Saoirse Ronan's first movie. Yeah, and Paul Rudd. Paul right? Rudd yeah. is like the young. It's like a May December um, romance thing, mm-hmm. but it's you know whatever. It's like Michelle Pfeiffer is like still the most beautiful person <laughs> in the world, but it's like Paul Rudd's young. She's you know a a working older. Uh, tv producer and it just got dumped like and i think they literally just went bankrupt so like the groomsman kind of got dumped that movie kind of got done you know yeah it does happen you know it does happen um and so i think that's part of what happened to steel big still little and then um and uh you know among other factors and i think um it's interesting i just love hearing people talk about no those it, movies. It, it's that's, it's funny know. to like hear him talk about it we we didn't we didn't go long on it by any means, but like, you know, he, he kind of, he, it, it seems to me like he maybe, and I'm, I'm speculating here. This is my conjecture, but it, the vibe I got was that at some point he like didn't necessarily ever want to be the action guy. Right. Oh, sure. No, and, I think he, and, I think he pretty succinctly said yeah, that. And, I mean, and, yeah. And, yeah. and, and kind of got roped into it. So when you look at the run, of yeah. movies like steel after, big steel little. The fugitive. Yeah. and just you know we we get into it a little bit but it's basically a film where Andy garcia plays twin brothers who inherit uh they are ad- adopted twin brothers and their mother who is you know at one at one point was like a successful dancer and then became a open to yeah, dance Holland Taylor. Yeah, opened a, a dance school in uh santa cruz santa barbara well, I'll tell you, yeah, they, I'll tell you where they filmed. You keep, you keep, keep anyway, going. in California, we'll just say, is where the movie takes place. And uh, Holland Taylor passes away and gives everything to Ruben, the good brother, while Robbie. Santa Barbara, yes. Yeah, Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara, thank you. Um, while Robbie, who's the evil Andy Garcia, uh, right. tr- tries to wheel and deal with a bunch of investors and lawyers to essentially get the estate back. And they, because they're petty brothers, there's a lot of one-upsmanship. There's a lot of like what they call in the movie, I got you back kind of thing uh, that they keep doing. And that's essentially the nature of the movie. It kind of does a couple interesting things with form. There's like stories within stories kind of happening. Uh, I can't think of that wonderful actor's name who's in The Fugitive, uh, who plays well, Pantoliano? No, no, the guy. He's like an Andrew Davis regular. He's in The Fugitive and U.S. Marshals. I know Davis didn't direct that, but he uh, he's the documentarian in Steel Big Steel Little. Oh yeah, he he ended up retiring. Tom Wood okay. is his Thank name. You. Thank you. And he yeah he he no longer acts. Yeah. So Tom Wood has like a bit part in the movie as like a documentarian who Alan Arkin and Andy Garcia 
are and as Ruben are telling their story to. And so it's this whole recounting of the thing. And it is it's a it's a it's a kind of like big sort of sprawling tale that is it is yeah that juggles a lot of different tones and i just i think it's fascinating in context because it makes a lot of sense to me like as just like a hey let me just try my hand at at all these well, things yeah, right it's, literally it's, his, it's it's his it's one of his, his few ad- writing credits um yeah it's his we should say, money yeah. movie yeah i mean exactly. it's his big his big you know directing deal after and, and if Best we had nominee. if we had like 10 more minutes with him i definitely would have asked about like because I'm always fascinated by this kind of stuff. Because like after Steel Big Steel Little, he makes Chain Reaction, which is basically the fugitive with like nuclear physics, with right? Science, like yeah. yeah, and like like just from a structural standpoint, right? And so it's interesting. I would just be curious if that was a a moment of like, okay, let me like let me make re- one for them. Re- yeah, like one for them and see see what we can do. Because then. He makes after chain reaction. He makes a perfect murder, which we talk about a little bit. And I, I really loved his candor about about like Dial M. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which like I admittedly I like that movie, but like he's not wrong. It's a it's yeah, it's boring. It's like I mean, it's, I appreciate you know, like, yeah, the candor of I mean, look, the candor of being like I mean, look, I look, similar similarly, Ridley Scott, um, who has Napoleon out as a recording. You know, a very honest man. You know, yeah. as, as we know, right. he was honest about in the, that New Yorker profile talking about. I think they bring up. I feel like they bring up, or it just comes up the Abel Gant, the famous Abel Gantz Napoleon Napoleon yeah. movie. Yeah, it's like five plus hours long. The restored, the restored version is, and he says, he says in the thing, he's like, I never got through it, and it's like. I, I get how that can sound sacrilegious to cinephiles, but the, I, I don't know. That. It's from like a from but like a working professional who's proved themselves. You know, that's like, what I'm saying. It, you know, I, he's a guy I appreciate like, look, it. Yeah, I like the movies I like. I make the yeah, I make the movies I make. You know, that one's not for me. Yeah, like you know, look, it does, it Alfred mean Hitchcock has he has Alfred Hitchcock has plenty of defenders, including me. You know, like he don't we don't. Well, you know, what I love so is I he do. references. What I love is he references my favorite Hitchcock. Where he's like, well, it's not like it's North by Northwest. And I'm like, it's not. You're right, right about right. that. It's like that's, it is a less my favorite. It is a lesser Hitchcock, and therefore a little easier to tackle and that basically you know it kind of and dan you mentioned this in the conversation it sort of just takes the nugget of dial m for murder like the concept yeah, it's way different yeah and then and then really i mean literally and figuratively figuratively opens it all up right like it goes to different locations i did think it was interesting because on my rewatch for this i i thought about this because i watched it on the tail of chain reaction um and the fugitive and uh it's a New York movie, right? And and he's obviously very much a, a Chicago boy. Chicago. And so it was fascinating to see him kind of really grasp a certain quadrant of New York, you know, like because it's all mostly like Upper West Side and then Financial District basically are like the two pockets of the movie, essentially. Um, well, yeah, with a little sojourn to Brooklyn. Right. Isn't that where Vigo is it lives? Brooklyn where he lives? Or I, I always thought it was like da- it was supposed to be down in the uh, maybe it's downtown. I thought they like I thought no, they make a whole comment right. about he it has going like to Brooklyn. he has yeah. like an abandoned he lives in like an it's abandoned, like an abandoned building. building in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, anyway, it's I, I just thought it was interesting to hear him talk about like, oh, I wanted to see if I could do for New York what I did for Chicago kind of yeah. thing. And I because I, I mean look, most like you said, most of his movies are set in Chicago. I mean, interestingly, following the fugitive, his only movie set in Chicago is um 
chain reaction. Is collateral damage not set in Chicago? That might maybe it opens in Chicago, but then it beca- it like it goes to the jungle, right? Because right. yeah. that's the whole. Colum- yeah, he, it's like a lot of it's in Colombia. You know, so it might. Oh, I don't. I don't remember what city it opens yeah, in, but but he he then. Oh, now, maybe it's the, DC. Actually, it's DC. So collateral damage. Okay, so so there you go. So collateral damage. You know, and that we didn't get to it, but that's one. I think you could call it a B side. That's one. I would agree. Um, yeah. Where. It got really, it got really, I think, really did get hamstrung by 9 11 because it's a movie in which a guy loses his family in a terrorist bombing. Yeah, it was supposed to come out in 2001, came out in February 4th, 2002 instead. But I mean, even that release date is is like an admission of like, you're throwing your hands up in the air. In my, because it's like, you got this art, you got this huge budget Arnold movie, and you're almost like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to me, it's like you're dumping it because you're like, we're, look, it's a terrorist bombing movie. Yeah. Like you're still releasing it five months after, you know, one month after, five months after. I mean, it's an impossible, you know. And then The Guardian we talk about, which, you know, The Guardian is essentially it's a Coast Guard film in which he does Kevin holes, Costner, which he said was the only one of two movies like perfect scripts that he that he ever directed that had perfect scripts, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Holes is so not a B side. No, like, not holes at all. is no, like no, no big hit. Yeah. I think holes like for people who are a little younger than us sure. is like a really important movie. Like I've had convert like my brother. I feel like, like we you were know on what I, mean? the, like, I feel like we were on the tail end in terms of like young adult reading for that to a be like a bit, formative because I do I do think I Holes is one of those weird like, like middle school, it's just but a like, really good movie like and also it's like the weird thing with Holes is like I mean it's not weird it speaks to Davis honestly it's like that all that flashback stuff with yeah. Patricia Arquette and Dooley Hill is amazing and it's like Sigourney Weaver and John Voight is the vi- like the, you're just getting these like incredible actors throwing like straight heat in like 20 minute chunks and isn't it kind of funny that he directed and he gets shia he, he <laughs> directed shia. both indiana jones and his son in like jumpsuits yeah <laughs> there's so, there's, there's something to that he directed mutt um our r.i.p mutt williams um, i know lost in vietnam <laughs> but but yeah and then you met you mentioned the guardian I which tell my i son. Not to go. That's actually a really go back a, in time. That's a really lovely scene. Well, uh, yeah, uh, the, you know what? A, lo- a lovely, <laughs> a lovely, lovely it? picture. Uh, and weirdly, in, uh, probably in, uh, probably a B side in Indiana Jones. Yeah, B side in, 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 in that, Dial, in the, in that context. Like a movie would be like, ah. Pro- probably. Uh, but yeah, but. the Guardian, which is his last kind of directed big release, big, yeah. big feature. Um, essentially, is about you know, it's I, the way to think of it is it's some crossover between like officer and a gentleman top gun and the coast guard right is like kind yeah of, it's you know, basically the coast guard is yeah officer and a gentleman like you said yeah top little top gun and, i mean um, davis even mentions like the the you know the the recruitment numbers that like skyrocket because of well and i gotta tell you when he guardian, said yeah. so you were listening he said that had the highest you know um test screening scores 99 yeah totally believe it i agree like i Totally, totally believe it. Like that I, is a like movie you could you could recommend this movie to basically yeah. anybody. Like in yeah. terms of just Johnny movie watcher. Yeah. Right? Like it's just a down the middle, like, you know, Coster's great. You know, look, I think and he kind of mentions it. I think by 06, 
the mileage was varying on Ashton Kutcher. And I yeah, think and this, I, I, yeah. I, yeah, no, I, and I think just that's rewatching maybe, this. That's maybe your issue. Maybe that's. I just don't. I think he's one of, of those dudes. You can't control that. You can't control that. I, I think he's one of those dudes who, like, you know, not that he, you know, he's not like talentless I, or anything. Say, I think, I, you know, I think you don't love him in the movie. I, I actually you I think do he like works? him in. I just think, because I think it's that thing of like, you know, look, you know, gear. People forget. I mean, people forget about this. Like Gear in '82 was in a Kutchery sure space. I like, kind of, but Kutcher had never done yeah, anything but, as like no, but my provocative no, 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 I know. is like he American Gigolo, like, and, and he never. Yeah. No, I know that that's true. That's true. But I just think what I'm saying is like, you know, an officer and gentleman is like everybody loves everybody in that movie except for Gear, right? And Gear's right. character is like kind of very. You know, he's like, I got nowhere else to go. You know, he's got like the kind of. <laughs> it's that, a similar that, you know, it's, character. It's a similar sure. character. Yeah. He's very unlikable. You know, Zach Mayo, right? You know, but look, very handsome, not unlike Kutcher. And I think the problem with Kutcher is he's just not gear, right? Like Richard well, that's, Gear. That's what I was going to say. Richard Gear is actually I, I, a very good actor. I don't think like, he's like, I don't think Kutcher is like completely talentless or anything like that. No, but it's I just, just think, I don't he's, think he's not. Yeah. He doesn't have the gravitas for this. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't believe him when he's sad. Really, like, and I and I, think, I guess not. I I do think, and I, I don't. don't I and think, I don't think that's a Davis problem. Like, I think Davis does kind of pull out of him like what's necessary for the movie. I just feel like you. Oh, read, dude. Also in the Guardian, Dulé Hill, bro. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, can you you, can you put Dulé Hill right in right in there in the honestly, in the Kutcher role? Like, can do if Dulé is uh, J- uh, Jake Fisher. You're right, bro. Yeah, we I got, guess my thing I feel like I feel like Farrell, right? Like he just was on the other side of this window, right? So like would have been too old, I think. Farrell? Colin Farrell. Oh, Colin Farrell. Our boy oh Colin, who we love. I was like, Will? This, this feels like a Will this feels Farrell like a movie. It feels like a movie that if it had come out three years sooner, Colin Farrell yeah. would have been sure the, the Kutcher role. Well, the recruit. Right. No, no, right, 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 I'm just saying. Oh, uh, Donaldson, let's. Can we get right? Can we get Roger on the <laughs> show? Raj, Raj. Um, Roger, Raj. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think the movie works really well, and I think, but I do think a large portion of that is like it's just it's an interesting general pacing, I wish, and I think, yeah, I think yeah. Davis knows how to use Costner really, really well. I think I, I remarked to you and our friend Mitchell Beaupre that like the, the I think this is the first of Costner's like old tired mentor roles. I and, believe like, it is. Yeah, we were, we were it, going through the it, film. Library. I mean, it makes sense, but he's it's really like and he's gone on to really you know McFarlane USA. Yeah, Man um, of Steel to a degree. We didn't right? really you know. we didn't really bring this up to Andrew Davis, but you pointed out to me the other day something kind of fascinating. So Costner's wife in this movie. Uh, that he is a strange oh, from. I wish we should have. We should have brought up. Is too. played by Cella Ward, Ward, who is the dead. Who is Helen? Helen Kimball. also named Helen in this movie. Yeah, uh, to, uh, Helen and twice. And basically is in the movie in the very beginning, and like then haunts it, disappears. Right, and granted, she does rewatching the garden. You she know, does come back. Costner spoilers, gets hurt, but you know, early on, and that that's like the, you know. Also, can I say? Let me say one thing. A thing I do also like about the Guardian. Mm. That I wish most movies did. And I know this is going to sound stupid, probably dumber than I intended. If you're making a movie, and look, and I'll say this, the killer subverts this 
the Fincher oh, movie. What the are you killers... about to say? I don't no, know. No, no, no. I'm just saying you're going to be yeah. like, oh, yeah, of yeah. course. The killer subverts this beautifully and very funnily. So I think the killer is a great example of the opposite of this, like for, 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 for the opposite reason. And it works. If you're going to make a movie and it's like this guy or gal is great at what they do. And mm. that's a big part of the whole movie. You got to give me an intro scene where they crush it. Yeah, and this, like, that gets this right. And, sure. and the Guardian yeah. and the Guardian does that really well. Yeah, yeah. And I movies that don't do that, where it's like, no, he's great, and then like they make a mistake too early. Yeah, and you're like, okay, but you're telling me he's great. Yeah, I'm just taking you at your word. And obviously, the killer. That's the whole point, and it's great. And I love. That's one of the things I love about the well, killer is another thing because it's setting up for that scene, and then it's yeah. obviously not that. Another yeah, thing the movie does well, though, too, is you think like. I think a lesser movie wouldn't let the Jake Fisher character kind of have his like peacock moment. Hmm. And this movie does. There's a whole seat because the one of the big driving things is the minute they get to the. So Costner kind of gets, you know, softly demoted. Right. To, to, well, yeah, gets to teaching, forced into teaching, to teaching a school, which is for which yeah. is for Coast Guard rescue swimmers. Right. And they they keep mentioning it's got the uh, the highest attrition rate out of any academy, right? Like less than or over fifty percent of people don't make it, right? Um, and the first thing that Kutcher kind of sees when he, when they're there is the is the record board that has all of Kevin Costner's records on him, right? Oh yeah, he's like, he's I'm like, gonna break that Diaz record. Yeah, right. And it's is that still, guy still alive? You can tell him I will. John Hurd has like one scene, and it's that seems pretty good. No, Hurd, Hurd's got a couple. Hurd's good in this. I uh, like Hurd. Hurd's good. Clancy Brown Johnny is good Hurd. for his couple scenes. Oh, Clancy too. Brown's great. Really good. And you get, dude, you, you know, yeah, all reliable Neil McDonough coming in as like the oh, disgruntled yeah. second in command. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Um, really good at that exact role. Like yes. You need someone to be like kind of a dick, but also handsome. Right. Right. A little too hard around the edges. Yeah. yeah. Neil? Who can like, we call who McDonough? Like, you're, can we call you're McDonough? Like, you're like, might fly, like, might be crazy. Right. Yeah, like, like, there's Mel like, he's a little. Gibson's second in command. Neil, you know, like, you know. <laughs> He's great in, dude, uh, in four years before this, amazing in uh, Minority Report. Sure, yeah. You don't have to run. You, you don't have to you, chase you me. You don't have to chase me. Fletch. Uh, Fletch. But it's a bad, it's a rough landing, Fletch. My, it's that bum. That's that bum shit knee. knee of mine. That yeah. shit knee of mine. But yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I would recommend The Guardian. It's, I, I enjoyed it. I think, yeah. I think Kutcher is the weak link, but I do think Costner has enough of that real great hangdog Costner and like uh, you're saying, it's really the last. I mean, it, things are a little different now, and we mentioned it. We uh, he mentioned it uh, now with Costner. With now he's like huge again with Yellowstone and Horizon coming out. But this at the time really was the last. I guess Mr. Brooks the year later, but it was like the beginning a of a real weird wilderness period for sure. Like I mean, but these are the last starring roles, yeah. right? Because it's like, yeah. and there none of them fully had. The Guardian wasn't like a bomb, but it, it certainly underperformed, and then I think made a lot of money on DVD, and then became a big cable staple. So I think, like David said, I think ended up kind of being solid as an investment in the long term. But like Mr. Brooks swing vote and it's real like yeah. weird movies right like weird attempts um kind of a defunct horror movie that never really got released in the middle of that uh movie i think it's called like the new daughter and um and that was kind of the end and then now you have this resurgence that's happening now over the last few years um 
which is fascinating in its own right. But um, but uh, yeah, just worth watching and nice. And you know, his last big blockbuster, and you know, still working on stuff. Andrew Davis, and obviously, you know, celebrating the old stuff. And so, really great to talk to somebody at that level of honesty and comfortability. And um, you know, we appreciate you listening. And I think, uh. Nice way to start start this holiday holiday run to the end. Yeah, the end no, no. I it was I think just a good, you know, I, I think one of those one of those names like the like the ones that we mentioned before, just that fit fit well within our hearts uh with the kind of stuff we cover here. So 100%. I'm I'm really glad we were able to uh to snap. Oh, we it. should mention we'll link to it. Uh Mitchell, you mentioned Mitchell. Mitchell, uh they have a great Oh, interview great with, interview with him. with yeah. Davis on Letterbox. So yeah, we'll some really interesting too. Tommy Lee some Jones nuggets. nuggets in there. Some good uh, nuggets. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff with that. So we can we can link to that for sure. Um, Dan, anything else? Where can people find no. you? No. Yeah. No. Uh, got stuff. We got all. I mean, look as you're listening, look out for all of our end of year lists. Right. We put out yes, yeah, that. best directorial debuts. We got a bunch of other bests coming out. That'll um, all be happening in the lead up to our best you know our or the film stages best of the year top 50 of course and um yeah just watch the site for that stuff and we got we got a couple other things coming yeah so uh, after this our last two episodes of the year we uh they're they're in the can which i don't think this has ever happened before it's Um, nice so it is a nice feeling but uh our next two episodes uh will be uh daniel day lewis featuring our returning friend fiona underhill so that's that's going to be really cool. That was a fun conversation. Uh, a couple of really fucking weird B-sides on that one. And uh, and then we got the w- one episode that I'm really proud of and I think is, is fascinating, speaking to somebody we could have talked to for, you know, hours um we chat with the wonderful editor uh Darren Navarro oh, yeah, who is among other things, he was uh, William Freakin's kind of late career collaborator on on some of his later films, including yeah, the Kane Mutiny, Court, Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which yeah. you can stream, which is great. Um, so we had a conversation really great. Oh, with him really great. about an editor he admires, this editor, Sam Osteen, who edited the likes of Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby and a whole graduate. whole graduate, right? Thank you. Whole bunch of other classics. Um, so we talk about a few B sides from Sam Osteen's career with Darren Navarro. That's a really great conversation. A lot of really cool insights into, you know, what editing is and how it works and uh, and why certain things Seriously. are important. A lot, a lot of cool little process nuggets in there. So that will be our last episode of the year. And then we will kick things off in the new year uh, with uh, more of our audience choice, specifically uh, our episode on the B-sides of Jody Foster. So a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, and yeah, if you like what you've heard here, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us out a lot. You can follow us on social media at TFSB side. And uh, yeah, if you are looking for the perfect gift, I wasn't joking before, but the perfect gift for all of the dads in your life, the 30th anniversary 4K Blu-ray of The Fugitive is an excellent transfer. It looks great. Like we talk about a little bit. Definitely uh, picking that up, whether for yourself or that special someone in your life. And uh, yeah, until our next time, like I said, I don't care. And now you're listening to the B-Side.